We begin with the letter A. A is for... M is for murder. E is for... Danger! And, uh... Dodge. With... Monster. Help! Love me and be... Please! Help! Yeah. Welcome back to the Is For Podcast. As always, we have our esteemed hosts... Multiple host host I I don't know what's the multiple of host hosts. I'm still trying to understand why I'm esteemed for anything. I don't know. I feel like maybe sometimes you're just steamed. Ooh, like steamed hams. Yes, steamed hams. I am steamed danger, hams. and that that guy right there, that's a that's Sarge. That's me. And uh, this new haircut feller, that's Monster. Say hi, Monster. Now, you called them steamed hams, although they're obviously grilled. Okay. <laughs> For this episode of the Is For Podcast, we're going to be talking the letter P, and P is for Pac-Man. Pac-Man is the lovable, I wouldn't say wonderful because, I don't know, there's been a lot of better games that have come out since 1980, Yellow, Waka Waka. Um, It's actually classified as an action maze chase game. I guess so, because Hmm. I did just find it stressful at certain times when I've played it in the past. It's just, you know, because I know what the goal is. And I don't think I've ever made it past like level three. I don't think I knew that maze chase was a genre, but now that you say it out loud, yeah, that makes that makes yeah. a lot of sense actually. Action maze chase, yeah. All right. Yeah. So created by Toru Iwatani. I'm gonna go with that pronunciation of Can you spell it? T O Just kidding. I'm going to anyway. T O R U I W A T A N I. Quick run through of what the game is, even though we all know what the game is. The player controls Pac-Man through an enclosed maze. The object of the game is to eat all of the dots and avoiding the four colored ghosts. Do you guys remember the names of the ghosts? Do you know? All right, we have Blinky. Oh, you're looking it up, you piece of... Clyde. You jerk. I knew Pinky and Clyde, but I couldn't remember the other ones. See, we if, had our own special names for him as when we were playing the game. It was dumbass, don't touch me, and stay away, and get out of here, and whatever the names were as you were playing. If there was a fifth ghost, it would be brown. It'd be called Sarge because it's a piece of shit for cheating. <laughs> like what Monster did on my last episode? Hey, I don't know what you're talking about. Sarge <laughs> is the only one here that's old enough to be like alive when this first came out. Okay, I was not alive. Okay, I probably was. <laughs> But anyway, it came out nineteen eighty. No, yeah, I was, I was, I was alive in nineteen eighty two. So when it first came out, two years. But I'm probably the one that remembers sitting in Pizza Hut when it was the little countertop one. You sat oh, in the chair, yeah, and it was brand new. Like we peeled the thing off the side of it, and like put quarters in there. By the time I got to the Pizza Hut tabletop, it had some wear and tear on it. <laughs> Somebody <laughs> had drawn on playing... it with a sharpie. <laughs> I remember playing uh, Super Mario Brothers on one of those at a Pizza Hut. Yeah. Like where you sat down and looked down at the table. Oh, I yeah. love those things, oh, yeah. man. Uh, so each of the four ghosts has their own distinct personalities or artificial intelligence. This is actually the first time there was a fully fleshed out game where there were completely independent characters in every level of the game that were controlled by artificial intelligence. So Blinky gives uh, chase to Pac-Man, Pinky and Inky try to position themselves in front of Pac-Man uh, to corner him. And Clyde, which 
Blinky, Pinky, Inky, and Clyde. I don't know. Uh, just the name Clyde, I don't think fits that. But anyway, and Clyde <laughs> will switch between chasing Pac-Man and running from him. So, um, Clyde. Yeah, damn it, Clyde. Uh, developed and released by Namco for arcades. Game was started developing in 1979. Iwatani hired a nine-man crew. That's all that made the game. And the root thing for him wanting to create it is he wanted to make a game that could appeal to women as well as men, because most video games at the time had themes of war and sports. And, and I'm assuming that it didn't quite appeal to women enough, which is why the sequel was Miss Pac-Man. Ah, but was <laughs> that the sequel, and did it appeal to women? We'll find out. Ah. By the way, anybody named Clyde is typically an asshole. Like, my parents have a cat named Clyde. That cat will just claw you when you walk by for no good reason. He's but just he's just kind of a jerk. The solution I mean, is to get rid of sure. the cat, but yeah. when I when I when I picture Clyde, he's like the uh mullet wearing country bumpkin driving a driving a multicolored pickup truck who wants to start a fight, but whenever it comes down to it he just runs away. That's when I think of Clyde. I mean Clyde was uh just a little orange ghost, man. I think about Clyde the Glide Drexler. <laughs> Who's that? Portland Trailblazer shooting guard. Okay, do any part of me look like I watch basketball? All right, all right. Moving on. I, don't, I try not to look at all the parts of you. but So anyway, placing the four corners of the maze uh, were large flashing energizers or power pellets. I keep finding them referred to as both of those things. Eating these will cause her, the ghost to turn blue, seem dizzy, and reverse direction. Uh, Pac-Man can eat blue ghosts for bonus points. When eaten, their eyes make their way to the center of the box in the maze, and the ghosts regenerate and return to normal. It's. I, I feel like maybe at the time it probably seemed like a good idea and a good mechanic or whatever. Yeah, it's I, dumb. But anyway. What, what, what part of that is dumb? What part of the mechanic are you saying is dumb? It's nice that you were able to do something that that changed things, but I don't know. I always just thought it looked dumb to have the eyes go to the center of the screen and then boop, we're back. You know, I kind of feel like okay, I, okay. I always felt like if you ate it, it should have had a longer period of time before it came back. I think that was the glory of Pac-Man, though. Nothing was more panic-inducing than, than using your greasy pizza hand, using a joystick, eating a ghost, and then watching the eyeballs go through the walls like it's flying over and make it all the way back to middle before you had a chance to get away. Uh, use a napkin before you start playing. Wipe you off your greasy hands. You chubby little well, this fat was child. Like, this was in the 80s, so this is prior to COVID yeah. and health restrictions and a lot of other things. I thought you were going to say prior to napkins. <laughs> <laughs> Just wipe yeah, your hands on your jeans. Before the 80s, I, I there was nothing to keep your hands clean. Just nothing. I, I mean, it was just dirty hands everywhere. I am almost 40 years old, and I still sometimes will be like, huh, and wipe my hand on my jeans. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I can't tell you how many like how many times I've just like brushed my hand on my jeans and kept going. All right, so as you make your way through the game, the game increases in difficulty. You know, obviously, go, ghosts become faster. Energizers effect decreases in uh, the duration to the point to where the ghost will no longer turn blue and edible. So I've never made it to that point in the game. The sides of the maze are maze are two warp tunnels, uh, which allow Pac-Man and the ghost to travel back and forth side to side of the screen. Uh, levels indicated by a fruit icon bottom of the screen. In between levels are shortcut scenes featuring Pac-Man and Blinky in humorous, comical situations. The game becomes unplayable 
at the 256th level due to an integer overflow that affects the game's memory. <laughs> no, no. Okay, no, so my question no is, what? is there an actual final level or does it just keep going until it becomes unplayable? So we'll we'll get into that as we go further on. But okay. the highest level found to be played in the game is the 256th level. Now, it was because of that that affected the game's memory. Now, I don't know if it was ever improved on or it was always just seen as 256 was the final. And so anybody that was remaking the game, sequel or whatever, just cut it off there. I don't see the point in having a 257th level because at that point, you should probably go outside and do something. Well, that, that, I, mean, I, I, never, I think the highest I ever made it was like level like five or six. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and that was like 10 or 15 bucks worth of quarters yeah. at that point. I never made it far into that game, and I never really had a desire to keep at it. Uh, I lived in an apartment in Richmond that had a free uh, arcade or free Pac-Man arcade game in the rec room that was there. Never touched it once. Just didn't have any desire to. So after acquiring the Japanese division of Atari that was in trouble in 74, Namco began producing its own video games in-house instead of licensing from other developers and distributing them distributing them. The company president, Nakamura, he created a, a small video game developing group within the company and ordered them to study um, NEC-produced microcomputers to uh, make new games. And one of the first people assigned to this division was Awatani. Um, he created the first game called GB, which I've never seen GB, but it's G-E-E-B-E-E. -E -E. Okay, so it was unsuccessful overall, but it did help to kind of grab people's attention for what uh, what Namco was trying to do. So he did give the game two sequels, one called Bomb B and the other called QDQ, both released in 79. So he put out a bad game in 78 and then he gave it two sequels the next year. I don't understand what that business was. And, about, and, and do we have any idea of what kind of games these were? Were these like... Okay, I mean, obviously they were arcade games, correct? So I Googled them. <clears throat> yes, arcade games. I Googled these and I found uh, several games of that time that with the same names that could have all been that game. There was nothing I could find that was specific to that. I'm sure if I Googled harder, maybe I could have, but I didn't. So what was the name? GB and 78 and then Bombi and QDQ and 79. Let's let's not use the phrase Google harder. I, d I don't know that you can Google harder. The Japanese video game industry had a surge in popularity uh, with games such as Space Invaders and Breakout, which led to the market. Oh, I loved, I loved Breakout. That I did too. Fun. I did too. I even loved all the uh, the knockoffs of Breakout. Uh, they all had various names and whatnot. But yeah, uh, so this led to the market being flooded with similar titles in an attempt for every other manufacturer and developer to cash in on that success, as we've seen with um, everything forever, especially Battle Royale games. Yes, Battle Royale games are everywhere. Market is flooded. Oh, boy. So, anyway, Awatani felt that the arcade games only appealed to men, going back to this from before, because they all had crude graphics, violence, and arcades in general were seen as seedy, dirty environments that were not for anybody but seedy, dirty men. 
Yeah, which is a far departure from what I knew the arcade to be when I was, you know, in my formative years. It was just that corner. And don't get me wrong. You know, we used to go to arcades as kids. It's like the carpet's never been cleaned. There's gum oh, God, everywhere. No. It's not exactly uh-huh. the most sanitary place, but to call the patrons seedy? Yeah. I mean, eh, that's been a bit of a stretch. Then now the, you know, the closest thing to an arcade that you have now is a place like Chuck E. Cheese. And it's all just like geared towards like little, little no, kids. You know, no, that's not true. Well, okay, so there's two kinds. You have places that are like bars slash arcades for adults. Well, kind of for kids, but kind of for adults so they can drink beer and have some nostalgia, play an old Uh, beat-em-up game. Dave and Buster's? Well, yeah, yeah, Dave and Buster's and – right, exactly. But then you also have – but those consist of arcade machines that were around when we, who are all in our 30s, were kids. Those are more like nostalgia-driven facilities. Whereas like the quote-unquote modern-day arcades with like actual new video games are geared towards much smaller kids. Either way, neither one of those are geared towards seedy, gross men. (laughs) Have you been to Chuck E. Cheese lately? I'm just... No. As um... a matter of fact, I have. I haven't been to a Chuck E. Cheese in years, and I used to be afraid to meet my ex-wife at uh, Chuck E. Cheese, and I didn't bring the child because I would just be this guy walking up to Chuck E. Cheese, and just hey, can I get in? Yeah, you don't if you don't you show up as a man yourself, with no child. Yes, if if you are by yourself and you are over a certain age, they will not let you in. Yeah. So yeah, and you no. know what? I appreciate that. Yeah, I do, I, I do too. too. But it was. Oh, you mean you, we can't go window shopping at Chuck E. Cheese? No, no. No. What are you doing, sir? I need to figure out how big of a kidnap sack I need to bring next time. Next season. Just so we're clear. Next season, P is for pedophile. (laughs) (laughs) So, all right. He chose to make a nonviolent, cheerful game so he could appeal to women, um, as he believed that attracting women and couples into arcades uh, would potentially make them appear more family friendly and less seedy environments and whatnot. So, he began to think of things that women like to do. And now I try to find somewhere where it didn't say this, <laughs> but everywhere did as far as how he came up with the game. I'm just thinking about what the concept of Pac-Man is. Hold on. We're getting we're, with the statement you just made. We're getting to it. All right. It's, okay. it's, it's right all here. Right. He began to think of things that women like to do in their time. He decided to center this game around eating. <laughs> <laughs> Basing this on women like eating desserts and other sweets. His game initially called Pac-Man, P-A-K-K-U-M-A-N, Pakuman, based on the Japanese onomatopoeia Paku Paku Taburu, uh, referencing the mouth movement of opening and closing in succession. I would just like to say to this is an audio medium. You can't see. Every time Danger has to read something in a different language, his whole face changes. It's the funniest shit. It's like you can see his eyes go. I I don't I don't I'm, I'm gonna try. I'm gonna try my best. It's awesome. So it's I hate like it you can't see it for a second. Huh? Yeah, there's this brief moment of what the shit am I gonna do? Okay, so the. Translation to the English market for Pakuman would have been Puckman, but the name was changed to Pac-Man 
to prevent uh, international incidences and defacement of the arcade machines. Changing the what? P. Changing, Why? What? Changing What's the wrong P. With puck? Changing the P to an F. What does that mean? It was P U C K M A N. And they wanted to keep Like a hockey puck. Yeah, I know what that means. But they thought if it was released in America as Puck Man, it would become Fuck Man. I mean, yes. obviously they didn't know the, you know, they were putting it in CD places. So they probably figured it was going to happen anyway. So why right. change it? Right, exactly. I'm just, I'm just hey, Mom, so... can, I play, can, can I go play? What is that? Fuck Man? Oh, no, Puck Man? I'm sorry. I'm just so glad that I was able to get, well, actually, now both of you. To say it, <laughs> yeah, yeah. all you had to do was ask. I would have happily done it. But then, <laughs> if they released Puck Man, and then a follow up, uh, there was a follow up called Pac Woman and Pac Boy. So it would have been Puck Boy. <laughs> yeah. All right. Oh boy. So we know the game developed uh, started development in 1979. It took a year and five months to complete, the longest any video game had ever taken at that point. Now games take years. To make this took a year and five months. the The main thing behind all of it was nonviolent appeal to women, cute, attractive characters. Namco was actually designing Galaxian. Yeah, Galaxian. Anyway. Yeah, it's a space shooter like most yeah. games yeah, back yeah. in those days. Yeah, that's that's <laughs> what I found when I looked it up. It was using the then revolutionary um, RGB color display, color display, which he saw that and was like, that would look good in my game. Which, you know, if the company you're working for, creating a game for, is making something, you know, big and crazy as far as colors go, yeah, you go ahead and jump onto it. After that, it did not take long for the game to be spit out. Upon finishing the game, the Namco president, Nakamura, Masia Nakamura, I'm trying to not give the glazed over look that you guys were talking about. No, you did a real good job of pretending like you knew how to say it. And then you tried to say it. And you proved that you didn't know how to say it. It's all about confidence, even if it's completely wrong. So That's true. That is true. Yeah. So he had originally requested for the ghosts to be, uh, all the ghosts to be read completely indistinguishable from each other. But, you know, he got that feedback. And to keep from having to go back and rewrite all the code and whatnot to change those, that's when they gave them names and personalities and background stories. And that was how they got around it. And once they brought that back, it was just, okay. When they were originally, you know, completing the game at the finish line for the game, you know, the game was titled Puckman. You know, it still wasn't released in America, obviously. It wasn't done. So they had to kind of change around on that because it would be too obvious because it was shaped like a puck. And so he made a few slight changes to make it look like a slice of pizza that he was, he was eating a pie for, for lunch. And there was a piece of pizza missing out of it. And that was when he connected all the dots was like, women like to eat. (laughs) So we will make our main character of the game look like pizza. I, I also love the fact that they said, let's make a game that appeals to women with the word man in the name of it. Yep, I thought about that while I was while I was researching, and I thought that was okay. So, well, uh, it's, that's just one of those etymology things. I think. I mean, yeah, when, when you go all the way back and think about it, I mean, yeah, the 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 culture there is very upfront and it's polite. 
I don't know. That'd be one of those ones you'd have to sit down and be like, why did you do that, sir? Yeah. yeah. Um, and when you're there finding out, you can find out how to pronounce his name correctly. Cause I, and then while I'm there, I'm going to be like, what the hell was wrong with you that you thought women like to only eat sweets? I mean... Uh, women like to eat all kinds of things, just like men do. So anyway, uh, so they began testing uh, Puckman May 22nd, 1980 in Tokyo. Received positive feedback from players. Uh, there was a private showing for the game in June, and then it was released nationwide in July. So May to July went through testing to release. Uh, this is absurd how fast this game moved and how slow it all moves now. So Namco made their plans to take it international. Um, and then that's when they changed the name, of course. And then uh, they changed all the names of the ghosts uh, to you know line up with American audiences and whatnot. In Europe, it was released under both titles. And they found there was no defacement of Puck at all. So I felt like that was a trying to dodge a bullet that never really existed. The gun wasn't even there. When Namco presented it alongside their other game, Rally X, which is another uh, racing game, at the 1980 AMOA trade show, in November that year, at the time there wasn't enough video games and things, so it was just a general uh, computer show. Um, the executives believed that Rally X would be the better-selling game of the year, uh, according to Playmeter Magazine, which is another one of the you know game magazines recording history and whatnot. Um, both Pac-Man and Rally X received mild attention at the show at best. Um, Midway um, went ahead, agreed to distribute both in North America. Announcing their acquisition of the manufacturing rights on the 22nd, releasing them in December. And Rally X disappeared, and Pac-Man carried on. It was just, mm. Pac-Man was an immediate hit in, in the States. Well, not immediate, but, you know, shortly after. So, so what was the first home conversion for Pac-Man? Because it lived in the arcades, but it reached a second life in the home. Monster? Was it the Atari? Uh, Atari 2600? Absolutely, yes. And, I and did, it is a shitty port. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I mean, everything... I mean, okay, so the Atari holds nostalgia value, and that's it. Everything on the Atari sure. was shit. It, it was... Well, I... I th okay, so Atari, uh, again, you have to put yourself in the actual time when these yes. electronic devices yes. existed. And at the time, Atari could do a couple of things that were really unique and interesting. You are correct in the sense that, like, by today's standards, it is you have to use a lot of imagination for whatever. But even Pac-Man, with as simple of graphics that it had, somehow the Atari 2600 still managed to absolutely butcher it when it came to the home console port. Yeah. They did. And I mean, like I said, the Atari holds nostalgia value and that's, that's it, you know, and your, you know, your whole statement of you have to think at the time and compared to today's standards and whatnot, but even compared to 1990 standards, it was shit. I mean, I knew it was the best for what they could do at the time. That's yeah. And, and well, before that, all you had were Pong consoles. You basically had literally like, these heavy duty electronic machines that could do nothing but play pong and variations of pong. And then the Atari 2600 comes along and you basically have at least a passing semblance of a game. So it, it was, you know, a big deal at the time, but you're absolutely right. I mean, it, 
unless you are just some kind of like masochistic electronic, you know, fiend, there's no reason to go back and play the Atari 2600. Yeah. So I remember Pac-Man on the 2600 because my dad had an Atari and he had Pac-Man. He he actually had a bunch of Atari games. I remember the terrible graphics you would play and the screen would shake as it would fade in and out. Yep. Yep. Mm -hmm. It would Um, like do the wiggle thing. Yeah, Yeah. it would do the wiggle. Um, And and to your thing about, you know, comparing it to the 1990s, like like Nintendo, I mean, that's comparing uh, at the time. Pinto to a Corvette. No, I I know, and I know at the time it was the best they could do. I get it, I get it, but I have no desire. And I went back a few years ago and played a twenty six hundred, and I just it was unplayable at this point. I guess it's because my bar has been raised so high at this point. Well, well, you know, like I think all of us have nostalgia for Nintendo, Super Nintendo, Sega Genesis. Like we like to go back and play those games, but. I think that we all sort of realize that the eight bit consoles is kind of when video games really started to come into their own. You could actually tell a story through video games before that your Ataris, your Commodores, like that kind of (laughs) machines. There's not a whole lot of reason to go back and revisit those unless you just, unless you're just really that deeply obsessed with it. I mean, can you even get the floppy disk to play on the Commodore 64? I, I mean, don't know. I can't. I'm sure you can somewhere. But... I know I've got my hands on a Commodore 64 once ever, and I have no idea where I would get one now. So do you like I mean, text-based to... games? <laughs> well, I mean, no, believe it or not. I used to, we used to, my dad used to have a Commodore 64 when uh, we were, when he was stationed in Turkey and we all lived in Izmir, Turkey. And that was one of the things that like, my dad would let us do is, you know, we, we had to hit the arrow button, hit the bug splat button, press enter to load the computer up. And then you had to, like, flip the disc in and click the little thing shut. It's not like mm-hmm. a space shuttle taking off. I remember having to do that for Oregon Trail. So Yeah. yeah. And then it just, it just you know, you, I, we, I played a game called, uh, what was it, uh, Heavy Metal. Mm-hmm. And oh, yeah. And the original tank game where it's like you're in the military. And you're like flying tanks and helicopters and stuff with this little joystick. Mm-hmm. It was great. It, it, yeah. it was like the greatest time ever. Yeah. And then uh, we got a Nintendo and we never touched it again. Exactly. <laughs> All right. So the uh, Atari 2600 conversion was uh, widely criticized for um, just an overall inaccurate portrayal of the arcade version, particularly its design choices. They had flickering effects on the ghosts, which was a huge complaint. But it was still a massive commercial success, and uh, it sold over seven million copies within that year, which is a wow. yeah, which is a lot. So, but then it was also ported and released to within that within the next five years to uh, the Intellivision, Commodore VIC twenty, the Commodore sixty four, Apple II, IBM PC, Texas Instruments TI ninety nine, and four A ZX Spectrum. Have no idea what that guy is, and the Atari eight bit family of computers. Oh, yeah, you should go back and look up the VX Spectrum. It was actually a very unique console. It was basically like a TV screen that could do sort of like kind of resembling 3D graphics. No, that's actually a really interesting uh, console. But But I I have learned about more consoles on this uh, podcast than I ever knew before. (laughs) Like, what was the one, the... uh... 
there was one that was mentioned before. It was like uh, the the Arab or something like that. I don't know. There was oh uh, yeah, to- I remember. I I, I know, which I, I had to look it up. It was this weird looking console. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. The letter A. No, it was it was it, it came up in another episode for another video game that was ported over to it. And never heard of it. Never seen one. But anyway, so in addition to all of those, it has been converted and ported to. Every other system, it's the only game that has come out on every system, the original version of the game. And then that's where I was talking before about uh, level 256 is the highest anybody's ever made it. There are records of there being higher levels in earlier versions of the game, but they were completely unplayable because memory was off and, you know, it just, it was always an issue. So anyway, every single system has gotten the original Pac-Man. So then Pac-Man got another life uh, after all the lives that it's gotten. So Namco has packaged it into Namco Museum Volume 1, Namco Museum 64, Namco Museum Battle Collection, Namco Museum DS, Namco Museum Essentials, Namco Museum Mega Mix, and saying Namco that many times in a row really messes with the mouth. So, But then it was re-released in arcades as a part of the Namco Classic Collection Volume 2, which is they were putting arcade machines back out to, you know, capture on the game again, which I'm pretty sure you can get a Namco Classic Collection Volume 2 arcade machine at Walmart. I remember... So I have just found that the level 256 Pac-Man yeah. is available on your phones from your App Store, Google Play Store. It's called Pac-Man 256, the Endless Arcade. So you never Nintendo. move past that level? You just stay in it? I, I don't know. <laughs> so instead of making a new level, they just made that level harder infinitely. <laughs> Um, cool. Thanks, Damco. And, and obviously, so that, so, so what you were just saying was them re-releasing the original Pac-Man. Yes. Um, and, and, and you might be planning on going into some of this here in a minute, so I don't want to, you know, steal any thunder or anything. Sorry. Right. I, I think it's okay. We've stolen each other's thunder enough times. <laughs> okay, good, good. There have been thousands of remakes and sequels and and all this stuff and i find it okay good 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 just like mario just like sonic just like these other big faces of a brand or or whatever uh i I find it really interesting that pac-man has gone through all these iterations where like He's had obviously games that are similar to the arcade classic, but he's had story games for the PC. He's had uh, action adventure games on different consoles, and and the one I was going to bring up, I do not remember the name of it. It might have been Pac Man 3D World or something like that. Yeah, that, that where, came around at one point. Yeah. Okay, and I can't remember if that was for Nintendo or for Sega Genesis. But it, it was not quote unquote 3D, but it, it just basically kind of the perspective gave it sort of a different vibe. You it, couldn't see the whole maze at one time. Uh, and I don't know why, but I found that one a lot of fun when I was a, a, a kid. <laughs> I mean, it was one of the first forays into uh, taking you know a character that you knew and putting them into a potentially 3D world. So yeah, it kind of put a new spin on it. Kind of like when they put Mario in space and Mario Galaxies, it gave a new dimension to things, and I love that game. Right, so, right. Fun. So, do you know what I remember watching on television? This is I'm, I'm going to age myself. Monsters when they were new episodes. I'm not that old. Uh, 
asshat. I was going to say Dick Van Dyke, but whatever. Still not that old ass clown. The 1980s versions of the Pac-Man cartoon on Saturday mornings. Yep. More thunder. It's gone. (laughs) (laughs) You're welcome. All right. So let's talk about the overall reception of Pac-Man. Do you mean like Pac-Man fever? Which actually ended up leading to something I was going to put in here, but I chose not to. <laughs> Pac-Man fever. Oh. Pac-Man fever actually led to a phenomenon called Pac-Man cancer, which is where when a market gets flooded so much with a basic type of game, and like has a huge following over it, that the game continues to survive in just general knowledge popularity within the social consciousness. But nobody has a desire to play it. So we have Pac-Man fever. We have Pac-Man cancer. Is this is this the point where we call Doctor Mario? Does this does this lead to a Pac-Man <laughs> pandemic? Oh, I'll I'll see myself out. <laughs> oh, so please, guys, Danger. Again, this is an audio medium, so you can't I'm, see the look I'm, on Danger's <laughs> face when we're busting these out because he is I'm, like he's done. If, if I want to stab you, had a facial expression. Yeah. <laughs> I will um, give you 10 or 12 more times before I'm done. <laughs> and then after that, I'll give you a couple more. <laughs> so anyway, North American debut was in uh, 1980. So, you know, they pushed the game along quickly in development and then quickly into international release. So initially, I did say before that it gained a quick following. But, you know, initially it did have a mild reception. Uh, according to Playmeter magazine. Uh, but it was said to be a cute game, which appears to grow on players, which it did very quickly. Something which cute gamers are not prone to do. So it was a cute game, and they were looking at cute gamers. Okay. So they were saying that the game also uh, has more to it than it appears at first, and criticized the sound, saying it's good for a while, but it becomes annoying. I feel that way about some people in my life. So critically, when it was first released in Japan, it was only a modest success. Namco's own uh, Galaxian had quickly outdone the game popularity. Predominantly male players were the base of that game um, as a shooting gameplay as opposed to Pac-Man's cute characters mm-hmm. and Maze Chase theme. So there we go. Maze Chase games again. I, again, never knew of it as a as a genre of games but until now. But No, and, and, and to your point, like Galaxian and Galaga and all the other big arcade games at the time, the vast majority of them were space shooters. They were very specific into that, you know, genre. So I could see Pac-Man sticking out like a sore thumb. And for some people that was probably awesome. Right. And, but for a lot of people, they probably were like, oh, this isn't what I'm used to, you know, and. Well, I mean, as far as I can remember, and again, I'm not that old for these games to be coming out. I remember like Galaga, stuff like that. You were really stuck to the bottom third of the screen, essentially. And you could go up a little, but it was mostly left and right. Yeah. Speaking of your age, um, Sarge, how did you feel when I Love Lucy first debuted? I loved it. Okay, great, great. Please continue. um, He he was watching the show uh, and he was like, I do love Lucy. I do. I mean... I'm, I'm, I mostly prefer I Dream a Genie, but no, hey. We, I mean, some of us pick winners, three. others pick... Who doesn't? I mean, uh, Bewitched. Okay. <laughs> so, whereas when Pac-Man came out, instead of just having your typical left, right, can only move a little bit. You got you know, to move. You got to move the, the... As long as there wasn't a border, you could continuously move. 
I think that pretty much changed a lot of people's perspective on the games because after that, you know, like for your Atari games and stuff, you know, like uh, Battle Tanks came out and you, you know, essentially was Pac-Man except with tanks. Yeah. So within 1980, Pac-Man became Japan's highest grossing game of the year, knocking Space Invaders off, which held since 1978. And then Pac-Man held it for two years, highest grossing game for two years. And this led to a shift in the Japanese gaming market, uh, so away from the space shooters to the cute characters, um, you know, comical characters, if you will. And Pac-Man is the fourth highest grossing arcade game of 1981 worldwide. And Pac-Man, within one year in the States, uh, was in more than 100,000 arcades and one billion and quarters, which comes out to $250 million in one year. That whole thing where I said it came out to mild success, but gained, you know, gained popularity pretty quick. Yeah. Um, in 1980, that passed. So. That is a lot of quarters. Yeah. Um, so Midway had limited expectations before the release, initially manufacturing 5,000 units for the U.S., and it was immediately behind its supply upon release in the U.S. And our arcades would purchase entire rows of Pac-Man cabinets, just the entire wall of, a, of an arcade would just be lined with it. And it overtook Asteroids and um, as the best-selling arcade game in the history, and it surpassed A New Hope. Star Wars box office mm. sales with more than one billion in revenue, and uh, Pac-Man was America's highest-grossing arcade game of 1981 and second highest of '82. So yeah, pretty popular. And Namco made their money, especially for a year and what was it, five months worth of work. Yeah, they. Uh, well, I'm well, looking up all these. I'm looking up all these Pac-Man titles, and Namco's still making money. Oh I mean, God, yeah. On here, I've never even heard. Oh yeah. Of, I mean, God, oh yeah. Hello oh, yeah. Kitty Hearts Pac-Man. You gotta love a good crossover. Like, I was going through the list of all the games, and I got tired of listing them. I just, I quit. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So, by 1982, it was estimated that there were, uh, to have had 30 million active players in the U.S. playing Pac-Man. The game's success was partly driven by its popularity. Guess guess, guess who was playing? Female audiences. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, and so, it was the, uh, it was classified as the first commercial video game to involve a large number of women as players. Um, and that was according to Midway's Stan Jacory. Jacory, I don't know, is an American guy. So not trying to pronounce a Japanese name. So, um, <laughs> And so Pac-Man has been logged, um, registered, I don't even know what it would be, but as being the uh, favorite coin-operated game amongst female gamers ever. I don't know if that's true, but it was also just coin-operated, so, you know, I, it was pretty much over by the time coin-operated machines went out the window. I believe it. I can't think of another game that would necessarily be more, you know, other than something like Dance Dance Revolution or something like a little more modern. Would those be considered coin-operated yeah. since they're mostly just, like, you have the preloaded card, you just swipe them? What is, is there a coin-operated? Well, I, I, re I remember That's time true. crisis at the arcades, uh, you still had to, you had to slam coins in those. You used to stack the coins up by right next to where the little gun racks were. And when was that? How long ago was that? Exactly. What is That's... this? Beat on no, no. because of his age? No, I'm just saying, like, I can't remember the last time I went to an arcade and there was actually, like, a full-on <laughs> coin-operated thing, except for a buddy of mine's barcade in Charlotte. 
where he actually went around and found original arcade cabinets. So, well, yeah, and and Sarge, because you're 64 years old, we just assumed that you would know better than we would as far as like when machines stopped taking quarters and just started taking cards. I mean, there I found a few vending machines that still take quarters. The number of arcade units had tripled uh, to 400,000 by 1982, receiving an estimated total between 7 billion coins, $6 billion. And in, 1984, in 1983 interview, Nakirma uh, said that though he did expect Pac-Man to be successful, I never thought it would be this big. Uh, Pac-Man is the best-selling arcade game of all time, surpassing Space Invaders. With total estimated earnings ranging from 10 billion coins and 3.5 billion or 7.7 adjusted for inflation uh, to 6 billion or uh, 16.1 billion uh, adjusted for inflation in arcades. Holy shit, that's a lot of money for one arcade game. Pac-Man and Mrs. Pac-Man also topped the U.S. Replay cocktail arcade cabinet charts for 23 months from February 1982 through 1983 up until 1984. Real quick. Yeah. Is that the official name for those arcade cabinets that like you sit at? Yeah. They're called cocktail cabinets? Cocktail arcade cabinets. That's the actual name. I love it. The tabletop. Because because you would sit down with your cocktail and you would play games. Yeah. So we can call them cacks. <laughs> I, I heard you say cack, but I thought that was like one of those old man hacks that people have. Yeah. And throw, like, cack! You know, because you're old. Go ahead. I, I'm not sure if this is P is for Pac-Man or S is for Sarge's old. I'm not sure anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right. The Atari 2600 version of the game sold over 8 million copies. It's the console's best-selling title. Wow. Yep, and Coleco's Tabletop Mini Arcade sold 1.5 million uh, units in 1982. Uh, they just, the numbers keep going. They're endlessly impressive for what this little pizza woman, man thing. Um, but yeah, it's just, <laughs> uh, it's just, it's absurd what, what this thing has done. So again, I've never made it past like level three or four. And there's all this other like, crazy amount of money and numbers it's put up and I don't know if I've actually been a part of it and I don't think I've ever purchased a Pac-Man ever. So, Pac-Man is considered to be one of the most influential games of all time. So, the game established the maze chase genre. Also, the first game with power-ups, the individual ghosts um, had the artificial intelligence talked about and it was the first one to really do it on that level. And Pac-Man is considered one of the first games to have demonstrated the potentials of characters in the medium. This character is the first original gaming mascot. There is no game that has a character that is so well known before that. You, you're looking at me, monster, like you are going to challenge it. Well, the only one that came to mind was Sinistar, but I bet Pac-Man predates it a little bit. I, I can I can Google that. I can Google that. Go ahead. So Pac-Man is credited as the first game that pulled female gamers in and created the female, uh, what until not too long ago seemed to be kind of a um, an underlying thing that happened in, in game all around, is that girls also play games. So, which I remember playing video games with my friends that were girls when I was a kid. So I don't know. Uh, 
I don't know who said that, that that was something that didn't exist, but anyway. Yeah. Sinistar came out about, uh, about three years after Pac-Man. So yeah. You're probably right. You're probably right. Um, so it's often cited as the first game with cutscenes. So between the levels, little things between Pac-Man and uh, Blinky chasing each other around, the first game that had cutscenes. You know, before that, it wasn't a thing. And uh, really, that was just to help load the next level. Ready to talk about the legacy that Pac-Man has has helped lay out. Well, so. according to its developers, I would imagine that there is a legacy of obese women. Because that's that's what appeals to them about Pac-Man, right? Women. <laughs> All right. The 2016 Summer Olympics closing ceremony had a video which Tokyo um, hosts the 2020 Summer Olympics. A small segment shows Pac-Man and ghost racing and eating dots along the running track. I don't know of another video game that showed up in an Olympics video about a future Olympics. <laughs> so. Um. That would have been in 1974 when Transylvania hosted the Olympics and they showed clips of Castlevania from the future. Uh, please continue, Danger. I, I, I got I'm talking this, about this joke. This joke isn't working. Go ahead. Yeah. Okay. In 1982, Midway had jumped to between 95 and 105 licenses to produce Pac Man merchandise. Do any of you remember? merchandise from when you were a kid of Pac-Man. I bet you I'm going to tell you one of the more obscure ones. I think I've seen some of it. Like I've seen like Pac-Man lunch boxes and Pac-Man well, yeah. notebooks and stuff. Well, yeah. But so, you know, bumper stickers, jewelry, Pop Tarts, you know, all that stuff. But ATT had an official Pac-Man phone that they released. So you could talk on Pac-Man. I don't know if it opened by the mouth or you picked up the whole thing. I've seen both versions of it and Googling I can't but find. I'm just, original. you know, I'm I'm just still impartial to the hamburger. Yeah. I, I'm also assuming that uh, because it was such a hit with women, they probably had like Pac-Man cooking ware, Pac-Man spatulas, Pac-Man mixing bowls. Um, continue. <laughs> so by the end of 1982. And just merchandise and licenses, uh, they exceeded $1 billion, so $2.7 billion for today. So not only were they making the butt-ton of money off of the arcade stuff, but yeah. Uh, Sarge, you talked about the cartoon, the Pac-Man cartoon. Mm-hmm. All right. So what what year do you think that was? 82 to 84? Uh, it was 82 to, 80, 82 to 83. It only had one season, but a bunch of episodes. So it was highest rating. And they replayed them. Yeah. Constantly. Yeah. It's highest rated Saturday morning cartoon of 82. Music. Um, in 1982, Weird Al Yankovic wrote a parody of Taxman by the Beatles called Pac Man. In 1992, Aphex Twins uh, released Pac Man, a techno album, consists mostly of samples from the game. So the <laughs> earlier earlier we heard that somebody was criticizing the music, that it was annoying. And then they go and they make an album of Pac Man sounds. Who, who did that? That was Apex Twins. Apex Twins? A-P-H-E-X. So They're a little bit odd, yeah, they are. to say the least. They are. They are. <laughs> They're part of that like late 90s, early 2000s, like industrial techno, like crystal method, kind of like dancey, weird stuff. But it does not shock me that they would do an album of Pac-Man sounds. Yeah. There's nothing about that that I want to listen to. No, no, absolutely not. So remakes and sequels. I can't even find a number 
of how many remakes and sequels <laughs> there have been of this game. Like I said, I got tired of listing. Mrs. Pac-Man came out in 82, so they put out Pac-Man 80 and then 82. Uh, Mrs. Pac-Man came out because, like you were talking about earlier, Monster, they released a game geared to appeal to women, and they released Mrs. Pac-Man, the little bow man. Yeah. Little bow changes the whole game. Same damn Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Game. Now, what? okay, hold on real quick. You say it's the same game. Is it actually the same game, or did they rearrange the levels? Like, are they new levels? Do the ghosts react differently? I don't know. I didn't find that. Okay, that was okay, actually okay. a question that I asked during research. Fair enough. I'm not familiar enough to know, so yeah. I wasn't sure. So Mrs. Pac-Man is one of the best-selling arcade games in North America, where Pac-Man and Mrs. Pac-Man had become the most successful machines in history in the amusement arcade industry. So those two machines are the most successful machines that were at amusement parks. It's nice to see a married couple making it work. You know, it, you got Mr. and Mrs. Pac-Man, and then you have uh, the Bundys, Ed, or Al and Pam? I don't remember. I hated Peggy. married children. Peggy. Peggy. I hated married children. It was a terrible show. Or, or like the Bunkers from Sarge's generation, you know, back back in those days. I, I mean... That actually wasn't too far of a stretch there because, I mean, you could have gone with I Love Lucy again. No, I already used that one, so I yeah. tried to bring up All in the Family. But, again, this is an audio medium. You can't see the fact that Sarge had zero reaction to my joke. So, moving on. Amongst the um, the remake sequels and whatnot, Mrs. Pac-Man Maze Craziness, or Maze Madness, uh, Mrs. Pac-Man Quest for the Golden Maze, Super Pac-Man, Junior Pac-Man, Baby Pac-Man, Pac-Mania, Pack in time, pack attack, pack picks. They go on and on <laughs> and on and on. Why? This is part of what I was talking about the uh, the Pac Man cancer, where this thing that's popular within the you know culture that we currently have that continues to get made, but nobody likes and nobody plays. It's just the thing that survives. We don't know how. They keep putting stuff out. Nobody wants it. So well. And, and coming from a little different generation, you know, I think about like when Doom came out and Doom was a big deal and there was all these like fan mods where they basically allowed you to create your own levels and stuff. Like I think if Pac-Man had like a Pac-Man mod where people could like create their own Pac-Man levels, that would be something that would be interesting. Whereas basically putting a new coat of paint on the same game year after year after year, you know, I, I don't yeah. know if that really appeals to everybody, but hey, if you absolutely loved the original Pac-Man and 256 levels weren't enough, hey, well, here you go. <laughs> so somebody did create a Pac-Man mod for Minecraft, and then they officially released it in 2020. Okay. There have been people that have made mods for games that are Pac-Man mm -hmm. things, but I do remember there was a mod for uh, one of the Fallout games where you could have a Pac-Man head. Oh, but, fantastic. Yeah, and then it was really annoying to watch videos of it because at first it was like, ah, that's kind of funny. But then the entire time it was just in the background, it was just waka, 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 waka. <laughs> And it was really annoying. All right, so let's round this out with perfect scores and records of Pac-Man. Does anybody want to guess what the perfect score on the original arcade cabinet was? Zero. No. No, it was... This three, isn't golf. You're going for a high score. 3,333,360 points. That was the highest score you could get. Perfect score. 
255 levels by eating every dot, energizer, fruit, blue ghost, without losing a life to obtain the maximum possible number of points on level 256. Wow. The first person to achieve this publicly witnessed and verified was Billy Mitchell on July 3rd, 1999. Record organizations removed Mitchell's record after a 2018 investigation by Twin Galaxies, which is the organization that keeps record of video games and things. They concluded that two unrelated Donkey Kong performances uh, submitted by Mitchell had used modified original circuit boards. Why would you, like, why is that the thing you cheat? Uh, yeah. So, well, I, I was getting ready to say that name has been a little bit tarnished, and I don't know, I don't, I don't think he got caught doing anything weird to the Pac-Man uh, circuit boards, but I think because of the history with the, the Donkey Kong record, yeah. I think they just basically assumed he probably yeah. did something wrong there, too. Maybe. The world record yeah. for the fastest completion of a perfect score, according to Twin Galaxies, was David Race, held with a time of 3 hours, 28 minutes, 49 seconds. In December of 82, an 8-year-old boy, uh, Jeffrey Yee, received a letter from President Ronald Reagan congratulating him on a world record score of 6,131,940 points. Only possible if he passed level 256. And you know what happened after 256? The game could not withhold the game anymore. The memory failed. So in September 1983, Walter Day, the uh, chief scorekeeper at Twin Galaxies, which I want that business card, took the U.S. national video game team toward the East Coast to visit gamers who claimed the ability to pass that level. Not a single person demonstrated that ability. So, old Walter Day of Twin Galaxies took a tour with a team of people, spent a bunch of money, and nobody could do it. (laughs) (laughs) That's a waste. In 99, Billy Mitchell, going back to Mr. Mitchell, offered $100,000 to anyone who could pass level 256 before January 1st, 2020. The offer expired, prize unclaimed, because of all this, Guinness World Records reinstated Mr. Mitchell's 99 performance in 2020. So, well, he got it back because nobody could prove otherwise. So, to finish it off, records. Guinness Records, there are actually, there's a whole Guinness Records category for Pac-Man. Guinness Records has awarded the Pac-Man series, which on it, I guess it would go to Namco for that, for most successful coin-operated game, most coin-operated arcade machines, Installed worldwide, which is a total of 293,822 worldwide. Record was set and recognized in 2005 and published in the 2008 edition. One event called Pac Manhattan set the Guinness World Record for largest Pac Man game in 2004. And this was a real life reenactment of the game in which people dressed as Pac Man and the Four Ghosts chased each other around Manhattan city blocks. The field of play for that was That's awesome. Was uh, six by four city blocks surrounding Washington Square Park for a total surface area of one hundred seventy one thousand twenty nine meters squared, which is forty two acres. They chased each other around forty two acres of land to create wow. this record setting. World's largest Pac Man launched by Bandai Namco, so that Bandai and Namco had merged at that point. So. Um, and Raw Thrills in 2016, world's largest Pac-Man, was a giant video game billboard screen that stands 2.67 meters tall, 1.7 meters wide, uh, making a total surface area of 4.56 meters or square meters. That is 
8.75 meter or feet by 5.61 feet, total surface area of 49.14 squared feet. That's your screen. That's, that's just a big, big orange ball. Yeah. <laughs> the most for the last record, and then and then I'm done. And then I'm going to quit like the sequels and remakes of Pac-Man should as well. So the most costly game of Pac-Man. Do you remember when Google did their Pac-Man on the street? You know, where you could look at Google Map. So the first rendition of it, you could look up almost any city anywhere and you could actually use that as the maze for playing Pac-Man. And that, oh yeah, I yeah. do remember that. That that was pretty neat. So it initially launched May twenty first of twenty ten. It was only available for forty eight hours. They re released it later, but visitors to Google played for nearly five hundred million hours. <laughs> and, wow! And based on the average office worker salary, it was estimated to cost the business world. <laughs> 122 million in lost productivity. Wow. <laughs> I was getting ready to say, as someone who is scheduled to work 40 hours a week, who on a good week will work 10 to 12 hours, I bet that was crazy. So that was the most costly game because of how much it was estimated to cost in lost productivity. So, all right. so on that note, P for Pac-Man is done. I don't see us having a sequel to P is for Pac-Man. Uh, like M is for Mrs. Pac-Man just isn't going to happen. I don't know. No, no, that's not going to. Um, got my fill of Pac-Man here as I did when I was 12. So, uh, Monster, any words for the people? At, at any point during the, the course of this episode, if you are not familiar with what a cocktail arcade cabinet is, I highly recommend you having the opportunity to play one because they are so much fun. It, it's you can it's get one a lot Amazon of fun. Amazon for eight thousand nine hundred and ninety-five dollars. Okay, a, you could a, probably just go play one at a pizza <laughs> inn somewhere. Well, I had a I had a buddy years ago that bought uh, the cabinet. It was in working condition, so he bought it for super cheap, and then he just uploaded go. a bunch of emulators in it and could play. Uh, we played Perfect. up through like PS2 games on it. So, you know. Oh, and one other thing. If you're really into vintage television or things from the 40s and 50s, be sure to reach out to Sarge. He was there when these things came out. He'll be able to tell you a lot about them. Sarge, Sarge any words anything? for the people? <laughs> any words for the people? Absolutely. Have a wonderful day. And did you know that the average fire department response time is nine and a half minutes? I didn't. So you're saying... Mind, monster. Is that a threat? Okay, so you're saying if I want to set a fire, I've got about eight to nine minutes to hightail it out of there. Sure. Roughly. Like that depends on where you live. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I appreciate you hanging in through P is for Pac-Man, but I am now D is for done. Hopefully Later. this episode this episode will appeal to women. Yes. As we learned, women like to eat. And if you are a woman and eating during this, well, then we have a game for you. It's called Pac-Man. It was modeled just for you. All right, and bye. And you know that Sarge is the only one that hasn't said anything about it. All right, bye, everybody.